Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Lead to Soar podcast. I am so, 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 so thrilled to have Charlotte Blair with us today. And certainly Lead to Soar members will have heard me waxing lyrical about Charlotte in a number of different ways over a number of years because, as I've said often, Charlotte is the best strengths coach, Gallup strengths coach that I know. And certainly I know that she's very well respected around the world and gets to fly around the world, including with Gallup, to uh, talk about the importance of strengths. So it's just awesome to have you here today, Charlotte. Welcome to the pod. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Mel. It was exciting to share with people and I always love seeing you again as well, Michelle. So thank you for asking me. I know it's been too long in person or IRL in real life. So there's a couple of bookends or points. Why are we here today talking about strengths? Well, number one, because this month in the Lead to Soar Network, so this month being November 2023, our theme that we're focusing on is strengths, particularly around your personal greatness. And I know, Charlotte, you know the work of Susan Colantuno because I've seen her work beautifully pop up around mentoring in your book, which is really cool. So we're talking about the things that make us great as leaders. And the very first thing is what are our strengths? So we're talking about that as our theme throughout the month. And the thing that I talk to people a lot about is, including a a group of amazing women yesterday, saying, I want you to stop, breathe, reflect. Who am I? How did I get here? What got me here? What still serves me? What no longer serves me? And understanding our strengths, what we bring, how we show up, what people can depend on us for is a really crucial part of self-awareness. So that's number one. But number two, and for those live people listening, you can't see, I'm holding up this book. 
Career Unstuck, which is Charlotte's first book. I reckon you've got at least another couple in you. Charlotte's first book, which has been released recently, Career Unstuck, How to Play to Your Strengths to Find Freedom and Purpose in Your Work Again. And given how many conversations Mel and I have with women who are at some kind of crossroads in their career, where it be oh my God, how do I get out? Oh my God, how do I go up? Oh goodness, I've got lots of opportunities in front of me. Those crossroads appear again and again and again. And this is such a, 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 I think, a great tool for people to do a bunch of stop, breathe and reflect to understand where they are. So welcome again, Charlotte. And of course, welcome Mel. Apologies for not bringing you in earlier, Mel. Yeah, glad to be here. So let's go back a little while and Charlotte and I share a bit of history and Charlotte, I did what Charlotte did a couple of years after her. So Charlotte, I love the first part of your book that tells your story of when you were stuck. And I'd love you to tell that story, particularly around the um, delightful, not boss that you had at the time and how you started to evaluate, oh my goodness, what's next for me and how it led you to where you are. In other words, can you give us the, the highlights reel of the last sort of 10 or 12 years? Sure. I work for a big global telecommunications company and I think I like my job. I'm looking back, I, I did like my job, but I in particularly liked working with people. No surprise, we think about Clifton Strengths. I'm a high woo. I love working with people. But when I shifted to, I moved from the UK to Australia after having my children, it really got me to evaluate kind of more about my purpose, actually. And how would I want to be remembered? I did this Stephen Covey's Seven Habits course and talked about your mission and purpose in life. And I was like, gee, do I really want to be thought of as a good IT salesperson? Is that really the legacy I want to leave? Is that how I want people thinking about me? So it got me thinking, what is in front of me? What else is there that might lead to more purpose? I think about the things that I really love doing. It was connecting with people and connecting other people. I love my womb, my arranger. I'll come back to this sort of language, but I love bringing people together and connecting other people, in particularly women. I was the vice president of what was called WAVE then. Uh, what was it? The Women's Association of Verizon Employees. So always very passionate about helping support other women. At that point, I was looking at different opportunities ahead of me. Did I want to go into sales management? Did I want to go into some other specialist role? And it got me heading off down the coaching path. I really wanted to do more coaching and supporting other people and facilitation. So I started to do my studies. And I think that's actually where you and I met Michelle. We both did our Institute for, hang on, was it? IECL Institute of Executive Coaching and Leadership training at the same place, the International Coaching Federation qualifications. There was this junction as well, though, where I had, as I describe in the book, a, a shitty boss. There are a lot of shitty bosses out there and a lot of people, and I'm sure other women on this call today or listening, have had a shitty boss at some point. In fact, you know, Gallup statistics show one in two people leave not necessarily an organization, but a boss, you know, how we're treated, whether we have the opportunity to kind of play to our strengths. So that was actually a kind of bit of a, a catalyst for me, perhaps getting out earlier, I might have liked to have stayed where I was and found a role that not only played to my strengths, but gave me the opportunity to do what I do best and follow the career path that I wanted to where I was. 
but that didn't happen. There was also something in here about how much time I was spending on the road or how much time I was not spending doing some of the other things I loved, like spending time with my children or riding horses or cooking or spending time with my husband. There was just so much of this nine to five plus all the other trappings and things that come with it and the travel. So there's definitely this element of purpose, but then there's also this strong element of freedom. I found myself, more I thought about it, doing so many different menial things that were not playing to my true strengths that it kind of gave me that catalyst to jump. And I've always been a corporate beast. And now for the last 10 years, I've sort of been out on my own or partnering with other people, which is the philosophy behind the, the strengths partners as well. And I do love to quote from a book. I've learned this craft from Mel, who's who's excellent researcher and interviewer. But in your book, and really it's the foreword, and I was struck by 81,396 hours. That's how much time on average you spend at work in your lifetime, according to Gallup's State of the Global Workforce Report 2022. And sadly, 59% of people at work are emotionally detached and 18% are miserable. And I think that this for me says crossroads, career change ahead. What do I do? That struggle that certainly we hear these stories quite a lot, don't we, Mel? I need to make a change. I'm not entirely sure. I think I know why, but I certainly don't know what to. What's next for me? I know I need to to move on from where I am. And that might be because I'm in a hostile workplace. I've got a shitty boss. I'm just not happy anymore, or I'm a bit bored, or I think there's something out there that I should be doing. And those stories happen again and again and again. And for me, I'm always doing the, right, stop, breathe, reflect. So what are you good at? And, you know, this is the strengths piece. And I certainly want to talk a bit about when we're at those crossroads, how important it is to really know who we are and all aspects of who we are. So I want to talk about that in a moment. But then, Charlotte, I also want to talk about the work you and I have done together around teams and leadership, because that's what we're all about at Leadersaurus. How do you become the best leader that you can be? Because you know what? We don't want you to be one of those shitty managers like all of us have experienced. So when you decided you've done the seven habits of of highly effective people and and awesome. But then you decided to delve into, well, I call it Gallup Strengths. I know it's Clifton. I keep getting confused which name to use. But anyway, the Strengths Finder. What put you onto that? And what was the story around how strengths resonated with you and your story around strengths? So I first had the opportunity to take what was, yes, known as StrengthsFinder 2.0 then, probably even seen Dimmick's and various bookstores around the world today. On my bookshelf behind me, yes. Yeah, it remains to be a very popular book. So the guy that actually delivered the same Stephen Covey course number of years later, Brian Bailey, was a big influence in my life, one of my strongest mentors throughout my career. He was the person that first introduced us to Clifton Strengths. I think for me, it was probably back in 2009, I took it and I was part of this big global organization, part of the team. And to be honest with you, Mel, I remember reading my report and going, yeah, it sounds like me, but I didn't really think any more of it. It actually wasn't until I did that course, when you talked about what your mission and purpose in life was, Brian said, well, when you're thinking about where you are at with your crossroads, dig out your strengths again. How might you be able to play to your strengths? 
And it wasn't until I dug it out the second time and said, yeah, this is me. And actually, this is how I could utilize this a little bit more. And for me, it was this piece about mentoring. You know, I asked Brian, hey, Brian, I'd I think I'd love to do what you do. How do I go about heading off down the facilitation and coaching path? Will you be my mentor? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And I quote in the book, I remember him saying to me, yeah, but Charlotte, don't forget, you won't be able to, you know, don't try and run before you can walk. And I'm an activator. It's like, that's like red rag to a bull to be able to say, yeah, hang on, you got to slow down. It's like, no, just watch me. So I went off and got all my various kind of accreditations. The more I got to know about strengths and do my own research and think about it at that team level as well, because that's where I wanted to play more, thinking about how teams come together and how we can do great work together. The more I learn about strengths, the more I wanted to know. And that's what kind of took me down the accreditation path. But most people that I work with, you know, when I'm running either team sessions, group workshops, or individuals, I ask the question, you know, what percentage of your report after you've taken the assessment did you feel sound like you? And most people, it's between that 80 and 100%. It's really accurate. People go, wow, you know, how can this assessment know me so well after answering these questions? But then the big bit is, all right, now, what am I going to do with it? And I think that's the bit that's most useful is not only bringing some additional self-awareness, but how might you use these strengths to meet your goals or challenges that you've got? What would it look like if you were to use them 1% more than you already are today? You know, if I am somebody that's very analytical and great at looking at facts, data and evidence, how could I use that to get where I need to. If I'm somebody that's really great at building deep relationships, how could I do more of that and go and ask the questions that I need? So when I first took it, looked at it, and I didn't really do much with it. It wasn't until it was recommended I dug it back out again, because I think the first time it was very, very high level gloss over. And I've learned over the years working with this tool for kind of 10 years that Scratching the surface is just not enough. Going deeper, having a coaching conversation, having a team conversation is where the gold really kind of like comes out when we we actually intentionally not just name what our strengths are, but we claim them and, and intentionally aim them. That's the different bit. And I love that exercise, the name it, claim it, aim it. But certainly around well, I was in my I was doing my MBA, which many of you have heard me talk about how transformational that was for me. But it was made up of all sorts of experiences. And one of them was the strengths finder. So one of my amazing lecturers when I was doing leading people and organizations said, you gotta lead yourself before you lead others. And part of that is really good emotional intelligence, self-awareness. And part of that was do your strengths find I mean, I another assessment kind of thing, because I've done a few in my time. And I did it. I went, oh my God, someone's just peered inside my head because it did feel I this is so scarily accurate. But what I loved, which was also part of studying as well. I then had names for things that were kind of mercurial, amorph concepts to me. I think I'm good at this kind of stuff. But then I went, ah, so that's what I am. And I am the person who is able to look at a whole bunch of people. It's my strength to look at a whole bunch of people and say, I know who to put in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And all together, we're going to be doing great things. So I suddenly had these, I had labels. And, and whilst you and I both agree, Charlotte, People shouldn't have labels on them, but it gave me some words and phrases, probably just to describe to myself, this is what I'm good at. 
and what I'm going to be in the world. And it was one of those points of clarity because I was at a very major crossroads. And of course, I'm doing now what I'm doing because of all of those experiences. But it helped me to go, oh, but you're right. Then it gave me actions. You might be good at things like this because of your learner or whatever it may be, whichever of the strengths. So it just, it gave me a lot of clarity and, and that self-awareness. And I know, Mel, you've also had some strength or experience with the Strengths Finder as well. Did you find the same thing when you first participated in it or something similar? Not really. I'm hoping to learn from Charlotte on this call how to do more of the aiming bit here, like what to do with this knowledge of strengths. But I did want to share a little story about the experience I had doing it. So I was in a leadership program that brought together people from a bunch of different parts of the water sector. And this was a long program, like nine months long. And at the beginning, they had us all do the Strengths Finder and they gave us the results. And it was kind of like, okay, all right, moving on. And then later, they put us into groups and gave us all a project to do. And then the very end of the program was, okay, come in, we're all together and present your project. And then the facilitators started asking questions like, so how did things go with your group? Like what worked well? What didn't work well? And as people started to talk, one table I can remember said, well, we really struggled to get started. We would have these great discussions and we just had a real challenge like getting going. And I sat there with my table and raised my hand and I was like, well, we really didn't have a problem. We got started, we divvied up the tasks, we got them done, like everybody did their thing and we came together and like, here's the finished product, no problem. And then the facilitators revealed that for certain groups, they had done a mix of strengths. So the group that I was in had a mix of a bunch of different strengths And the table that I most clearly remember that said, like, we had a really hard time just like getting going. It was because they had grouped together a bunch of one set of strengths that didn't have an activator in it. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. So it just drove home how pulling together the different strengths truly makes a difference. This isn't just a thought exercise. Yeah, I look, and I think everyone knows that my very core, I'm, I'm all about diversity, equity and inclusion. And part of that diversity, it's certainly what we see in all of those, I guess, those very visible forms of diversity. But these are the invisible forms, that cognitive diversity, the strengths diversity, which just can make a team sing or sink, as it turns out. And I know, well, Charlotte, let's talk about when I first engaged you with one of my teams because I had a brand new team and we needed to get our shit together, quite frankly. (laughs) And I went, oh my God. And Charlotte and I had bumped into each other. I'm going, hello, this is the woman that I've been waiting for because she can help me understand these folks and get us into gear, quite frankly. And it was really amazing. I remember the room that we were in and and you've talked in the book about the stuff that I do well can drive other and and makes me happy, can drive other people crazy. And then there was this exercise that drives me crazy when you, and it was a really safe space to say to people, I know you, God, you give me the shits. So Charlotte, tell us about what, what Mel has just said about the importance of as leaders, how we can bring together a really cohesive team. 
that gets impact or has the end delivers outcomes. I think it's like it's taking this step back. You said yourself, Michelle, that there's lots of different assessments out there. I think the difference with the Gallup assessment is it's looking for what we call natural talent. And they define talent as how we naturally think, feel and behave. There's some other assessments, like Herman Brain looks at how we think. You know, Myers-Briggs might look at our personality, whereas Clifton Strengths looks at that natural talent. And there's an element of nature and there's an element of nurture. Some of it we're just born like, some of it develops over time. Normally, by the time that we're sort of 14, 15, they're developed. And then it's, you know, how might they be enhanced? I'm not a big numbers person, but one of the statistics I do love is the chances of you having just the same top five Clifton strengths as somebody else is one in 33 million. So we know that we all think, feel and behave differently, but we forget that. Now we could have teams where there may well be a lot of related. So there are 34 different talent themes clustered into four different domains. And I think you were alluding to there, Mel. It sounds like that team that went, oh, we had a trouble getting started, were probably the thinkers. So we've got thinking, executing, influencing, and relationship building. So sometimes, yes, we have teams that are all relationship builders, but even how they go building relationships is slightly different. You can have a team of 10 relators and how they do that is slightly different because of what else is in their kind of dominant talents. If there's somebody that's got relator and ideation, they've got somebody else that's got relator and maximizer, a little bit like yourself, Michelle, of how do we take something good and make it even better? I think at a team level, it's bringing out those different unique elements, those bits that are very unique to every single person. But then also looking at, all right, yes, if I'm an activator and I'm all about go, 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 how could I be best paired with somebody that's maybe got deliberative or strategic that's a little bit more about the, whoa, hang on, have we thought about X, Y, Z? Because otherwise Charlotte goes charging off with her activated positivity, making some possible dumb decisions going, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm like the Lego movie character. Everything's awesome. Let's just go in this direction. And I need people slowing me down sometimes saying, yeah, but have you thought of X? I'm like, oh, no, that didn't cross my brain. So at the team level and leader level, it's how can I not only know my own strengths and how they might be showing up for my team and my people, how can I know my team strengths so that I can position them in work and places where they get to do what they do best? And then how do we use this cross match and find great powerful partnerships and think about how we can accelerate moving forward to hit our goals or reach that productivity by putting people in the position to do what they do best. But the biggest challenge is often people just don't know what their strengths are. They're really good at naming their weaknesses and they're really good at naming their skills, but not everybody necessarily knows what their strengths are. I work mainly with teams. I do a lot of one-on-one, but I mainly work with teams. It's my favorite piece of work. Michelle, actually, I think I even allude in the book I cross-reference Marcus Buckingham's work, Love Plus Work, and he talks about why is it important? Why is it important to work with the people that you want to work with? And I remember putting in there that I love working with already high-performing teams. I don't mind the dysfunctional teams, but for me, because I'm a maximizer a bit like you, I love working with teams that are already pretty good. And I remember meeting you the first time and saying, look, I've got a really great team. They're really good. We just want to get even better. 
And when you have a team that know each other pretty well, it's amazing how many new things come out and people go, oh my God, I didn't realize that about you. Or yes, now I've got a language to put to why you might occasionally ship me when you do X, Y, Z. But hey, I, I realize now what great partners we are because you think, feel and behave so differently to me. And one of the guiding principles of Clifton Strengths is differences are an advantage. We often see them as a challenge, but actually they're not, they're an advantage. And like you say, you know, talent themes, meaning this relate and maximize are the words I'm quoting here. They're not labels, but Clifton Strengths gives you a language. So we don't want to put label on somebody and say, oh, well, you're all fluffy because you've got empathy. It's, wow, how can we use that empathy in this team to be the emotional radar and the sensor for what's going on? Because as a leader, I might not naturally do that, but I've got somebody in my team that's really good at doing that. It's interesting. You're so right about the language and that team, because I did it with two teams and the second team was, and I talked about that team, just probably the best team I've ever, ever had the privilege to lead. And that language that we created with you, Charlotte, was, I remember Big Tim, because I had two Tims, Little Tim and Big Tim, but Big Tim had command right up there, like I think it was either number one or number two, which was kind of full on for some people, including me. But every now and then we go, oh, Big Tim, time to bring out the captain, man. You have to be in command here because he was the one who could go boom and be that real steer the ship because there was a lot of us who were creative and strategic and me, futuristic. I spent a lot of time in the future. And you go, righto, back to earth. So let's get shit done. And we go, oh, Captain Command, thank you very much for keeping us on course. So it did give us that language to say, thanks, dude, for keeping us in line, but don't overset the mark either. <laughs> so again, I think in Susan's language, seeking out the greatness in others all the time. What makes our teams great? What makes those individuals in our team great? We actually have to know and we actually have to, as you said, Charlotte, we have to help people know. I am still, what am I? I'm staggered. I'm a little bit frustrated and I'm worried that people aren't as aware of what they can bring, how they can show up, that women don't know that enough. And I think there's all sorts of reasons around it. It's a real call to action now for everyone listening. You've got to know how you can show up and be in service of, well, yourself, your organisation, but also as a leader for your team and how to mould a really high-performing team. And it means you do have to get to know them. For me, this is April Leadership 101. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, there's, of course, I'm always going to advocate for people to take the assessment. It's probably the most cost-effective assessment that I know. You think about identifying your full 34, it's it's something in the realms of 85 Australian dollars. I'm not sure. Yeah, I would imagine your listenership is all over the world. So 50-something US dollars and 80-something Australian dollars. There's a new report that Gallup have just brought out recently as well called the Leaders Report, Clifton Strengths for Leaders. There's one called Clifton Strengths for Managers, Clifton Strengths for Leaders. What I really like about those are... It's got more of that aim it piece. So it talks about if you're a leader, high maximizer, here's four actions that you could take as a leader to maximize your effectiveness. And here's some additional blind spots that might be getting in your way as a leader. And they've got the same for managing. I guess how they distinguish the difference is leading something, taking something in a direction or people in a direction or managing something. It could be managing a project as well as managing people. And then there's the sales side. But I think there's this piece here as well around 
understanding, yes, when are your talent themes helping you, but also when are they hindering you? So when you talk about that command, you know, I'm high command, it can sometimes come across a little bit intense and hinder me or how it's perceived by other people. So I've got to understand how I can moderate and balance it. I might add a bit of my woo and my positivity to soften it. But if I really do need to be Captain Command too, I might add a bit of activator to it. It's like a ingredients in a cake. You think about you know, sort of Susan's cake and pie, you know, the, the ingredients that go into a cake are going to be different, whether I'm adding lemon and poppy seed to it or chocolate or something else. I start to change the dynamics of that. So how our strengths can mix, but understanding when they can help you and when they can hinder you is critical. But yeah, for a very small price, discovering what your strengths are is helpful. But even just thinking about what does my best day at work look like? When was the time where I really loved what I was doing? And what was it that I was doing? When time flew by really quickly and easily, when I got lost in the moment and just came back from work and said, oh my God, that was a great day. Why was that? What were you doing? Can sometimes give you sort of glimpses into your excellence, your unique excellence. So, you know, sort of helping, even if a leader was to go have that conversation in your team, what does a great day at work look like? What were you doing? What are some of the things that you love doing? Who are you interacting with? How are you doing it? You can give those glimpses, even if you don't get to you know, discover your strengths through an assessment. So tell us the difference between, because you reference this in the books, when you ask someone what their strengths are, as I've said, many people can't articulate that, or they talk about skills. So what's the difference between a skill and a strength, Charlotte? And I know you kind of alluded to it earlier, but I want to get really clear for our listeners now what we're talking about here. Yeah, I think it's to me the big difference is what gives you joy? What are you drawn to naturally? What do you find easy? I have the skill for doing my zero and tax return, not tax returns, you know, BAS statements, anything like that. But it's not playing to my strengths. I don't love doing it. I've got to, it takes me a while to do it. It drains me. It definitely doesn't energize me. If I put the flip side to that is I'm a high woo, which stands for winning others over. I'm very socially courageous, love meeting new people. If I could go to a networking event, especially one of Michelle's networking events, every day of the week, I would be in my absolute element. Some people would rather stick needles in their eyes and go to a networking event. So I not only have the talent for breaking the ice and making a new connection because it fills me with energy and joy and I love doing it and I do it easily and it doesn't drain me. So I've got the skill in that as well. So they are intertwined, but slightly separate. There are lots of people that say, I can do that, but I don't love doing it. Whereas the strength piece is normally something that we love doing that fills us with energy as opposed to something that kind of drains us. And I think if we can find a role where we are looking at at least, I don't know, 70, 80% of the things that we do that fill us with joy and energy and we love doing and those clues to talent, then that's when we have the opportunity to play to our strengths. I still have to do my accounting stuff and send out invoices and numbers stuff. As we all do. So Mel, when you hear that a strength versus a skill and knowing, you know, the experiences you've had with strengths and strengths finders. What are you hearing? Does that answer the question for you? Yeah, I think that answers the question for me. What to do with the awareness, though, is still a little unclear for me. So I'll just unashamedly ask you to use me as an example here. So for instance, the top strength that came up for me was significance. 
And for listeners who haven't gone through the test before, you get the strengths and they also categorize them. So there's like a higher level category. So significance falls under influencing category. So I can read the description, but what do I do with that? So how do I understand the strengths, but then how do I take it and do something with it? So what does significance mean to you from what you do know so far, Mel? How would you describe significance for you instead of me putting words in your mouth? And I'm happy to, but first of all, what does significance mean for you? Oh gosh, very little. Yeah, <laughs> I may have to have you just take this one right. from me. No, 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 that's right. I'm going to read out to you something, and this is from this resource that I've got for managers. Now, and there's going to be a slight tweak to this, but people with strong significance talents want others to see their worth. They want to be recognized and have other people hear them. Particularly, they want others to know and appreciate them for their unique strengths. They want people to view their contribution as substantial, powerful, and significant. Their intense yearning for others to recognize them motivates them away from mediocre towards exceptional. Now, when you think about the work you do with women in particular, Mel, how does that help you? It's hard for me to see it. I can remember that one now because I remember thinking like, isn't this everyone? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it's not everyone. It's not everyone. So absolutely not. It's one of the rarer ones. But I think I'm also high significance. It's kind of number nine for me, but it's also a driving force why I do so much work with other Gallup coaches around the world. So I give a lot of my time to other coaches, helping them get even better because I want more and more people to take the strengths assessment. And there's no way that I can from Australia reach all these people. But if I help other coaches reach more people, I'm having a bigger impact on the broader movement, I guess, of more people focusing on what they do well rather than they don't do well. I like to be recognized. Now, if I drove down the Calder Freeway, which Michelle will know, the local freeway from where I live down into Melbourne, and they said a sign, Charlotte Blair's done an amazing job, I'll be in my element, but I don't necessarily need that. But if I hear that I've done a good job, it motivates me to do more. So I think there's two things in here about significance. One is you want to do something that's meaningful and purposeful, makes a difference probably to other people in their lives, because that's why it's an influencing thing. It's about people. And then there's the second thing is you kind of want to be recognized for it. And I think it's okay to admit that a lot of people feel that that's a bit egotistical or a bit self-centered to admit that. But if that's what motivates you away from mediocre to something even better, and it spurs you to do more, great. So I think how you might apply that could be telling people that, hey, if I've done a good job, let me know because I want to be able to make it even better next time. Or if you found this podcast useful, please share it with other people so that they can also have the opportunity to move further in their career or up in their career or be able to kind of lead in a a great way. So as I say that and those two things about doing great work and being recognized for it, does anything resonate there more, Mel? Yeah, it was really helpful to hear you describe how your work unfolds, how you want to influence people. So there's this larger impact that definitely resonates for me for sure. So the tie to influence helps substantially. Thank you. I think the other thing in here as well is understanding the dynamics of those other talent themes. So it's not just looking at significance on its own, because that's like looking at the butter in the cake on its own. And you're not going to eat just the butter in the cake on its own. It's understanding when I put significance with relator, with activator, with whatever your other talents are, then we get to see the full impact or the full 
taste of Bell's cake versus eating these ingredients on their own. So I think your significance is going to look slightly different based on what else is going with it. If we look at just significance on its own, it can sound a little bit kind of egotistical. And that's one of the barrier labels that, well, look at me, aren't I amazing? But actually the power behind it is how can I help you be amazing? How can I help you move forward? I don't think you'd be doing the work that you're doing now if that wasn't the case. Okay, let me ask you this. So the experience that I had that I shared earlier kind of illustrated that for sure, it is great to have a mix of strengths on a team to handle all these different aspects. But what about with the individual? So I imagine that there are some people whose strengths are a mix of the different categories. But for me, for instance, my top strengths fell under strategic thinking and influencing. So what does that mean for someone to have concentrated strengths versus strengths that are more spanned across the different categories? Yeah, I think it's really, we, the way I think about it is this is just where we start. So if I look at my report, most of mine fall under influencing. And then, so there are different colors that go with it. So influencing is orange, thinking is green, relationship buildings blue and getting stuff done, executing is purple. So if I look at my report at a glance, I've got all this orange up front and this tiny little bit of green right down the bottom. So one could look at that and go, I don't think. Now, my husband would probably tell you, I don't think. It's not my starting point. My starting point is jumping in and doing it. And then afterwards, I think perhaps, which is why I need powerful partners to help me think up front. So when somebody has a mix, it just means that they probably start by thinking of all aspects. When somebody has a stronger, like I I know some people that the top nine, 10 are all in relationship building. Doesn't mean to say they can't influence, think or get stuff done, but they start with the relationships. How they get stuff done would be through relationships. How they influence people would be through the relationships. So maybe for you, Mel, if most of yours are in that, did you say they were thinking and getting stuff done? You might start with, how do we think about this, get it done, but you're influencing people as well. So I always say Clifton Strengths is not what we do, it's how we do it is the critical bit. A lot of people get really hung up and say, oh my God, I've got no influencing themes in my top 10, I'm doomed. And it's like, you will still influence through great ideas. You will still influence by what you've thought about. You will still influence by doing what you said you were going to do. I remember, Michelle, you had a number of people in your team that were very good at that, getting stuff done purple. They would still influence people by doing what they said that they were going to do. So we can get a bit hung up by the domains, which is why I always in workshops help people really focus on their uniqueness first, the team's uniqueness. Otherwise, we look at data and go, oh my God, I don't have this. And we are hardwired to look at deficit. That's the other thing as humans. We've spent so long throughout our lives at school and everywhere else to look at what we don't do very well. So this is a big shift for most people to look at what we do do well. And it takes a little while for some of us to get our head around it. And I think that's a really important point. There's two points I want to pull out of there. Number one, no, three, actually, you have a recipe. And as you said, Charlotte, there are ingredients in a recipe. If in and of themselves, I love to bake as like you do, Charlotte. I'm not going to eat raw eggs, right? But I'm certainly going to eat them when they're in a really lovely chocolate cake that I've made. So being able to put the ingredients together to come up with something beautiful is fantastic at an individual level. 
But then doing that at a team level as a leader, this is the leadership stuff, which is really, really important. And I recall a team that I happened, they'd done their strengths finder through someone else. And I just said, can I have a look at it, please? Because I was looking at diversity and inclusion and all the things we might do to help them be better. They had lots of doers. There were no futurists, no strategic, because they're going, gee, we just get a lot of shit done, but we're not thinking about the next step beyond the next step. And I said, well, here's a data point based on this profile that might influence the way you hire your next person. You might want to have someone who's going to naturally want to spend a bit of time, you know, that strategic future focus rather than the head down, bum up and the achiever wanting to get stuff done, feeling very satisfied from being busy, which I have that in my top five. So I think it's that mix, that ingredient that it comes up with. And third, related to that, this is where that self-awareness, ourself, but also knowing how to lead others by understanding what makes them tick. This is the EQ, you know, the emotional intelligence is saying, I'm going to take my leadership seriously by understanding how to get the right person in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. means I've got to know my people. And this is one of those tools to do that. So super important at an individual collective and of course a performance level. Listeners, we're going to put in the show notes all of the ways that you can get in contact with Charlotte and work with her, including reading her book, using her to help take your team from good to great, because she does it. I am living proof of it. So we'll put that in the show notes. But Charlotte, I could talk to you for hours about this topic because it is, I think it's one of the most important things that I've learned in my career. And it's a tool that I continue to use for myself and of course for others. So Thank you for bringing what you bring to the world, your strengths to the world and helping the rest of us be much, much better. And thanks for spending this time with us for the pod today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on to share. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.